0: You are listening to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. I am Rebecca Shinsky. I'm joined this week by Danica Ellis while Jeff is having some well-deserved PTO. Danica, thanks for being here with me today. Hello, it's good to be here. I think that... In your history with Book Riot, which is just over a year mm-hmm. now a- of being full-time on our staff, you have covered for me on the podcast, but I don't think we've gotten to record one of these together, so I am excited yeah, to Yeah, me here. too. We got to make an appearance on the Insiders podcast together where we talked about, like, everything we do that's not Oh, books.
1: yeah! <laughs> <laughs> we briefly <laughs> talked about just doing a dog podcast, I think, and then... Yeah. <laughs> walked
0: it back (laughs) we did we did we talked about our media diets and what we watched on tv and you taught me some things about tiktok (laughs) and i i do believe that we considered devoting a whole hour to our dogs uh well we're gonna talk about book related things this week um i'm really glad to have you here have folks get a chance to hear from you and before we get into any of that we'll just take a break for our first sponsor
2: that he will have seven great loves in his life and then he meets arena in 95 and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With
1: Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. (laughs) All right.
0: Well, Danica, one of the things that Jeff and I have been doing through this first quarter of the year that has now almost (laughs) passed somehow unimaginably uh, is we've been doing we call it front list Mm -hmm. corner uh, where we've been talking about new books that we're reading as we're both trying to focus on um, some front list through 2022 and I thought that it would be fun to put you on the Mm -hmm. spot you know so I can do less of the work today (laughs) uh, ask you to tell us about some of your favorites of 2022 so
1: far. yeah my favorite so far I think has been Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake, which is an adult romance. Ashley Herring Blake wrote some of my favorite YA books, uh, Girl Made of Stars, and oh no, I'm forgetting the name of the other one. How to tell a secret, how to keep a secret, something like that. Anyway. (laughs) Something with a secret. (laughs) It's really good, even though I can't remember it. Um, And this is her first adult fiction title. She also writes middle grade. And she's just apparently one of those authors that can write in every age category because it is one of my favorite romances I've ever read. I feel like it stacks up against like the Talia Hibbert Brown Sisters is my gold standard. And I feel like this is the first one I've read that measures up to that. And yeah, I loved it.
0: I've got to ask you to briefly divert and give the pitch for the Talia Hibbert series, because it's one of those that I've been hearing about forever, and I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I feel like you might push me
1: on the (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's so good. So each of the books focuses on a different sister, the Brown sisters. Uh, So the first one, I think, is uh, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and then the second one is Take a Hint, Danny Brown, and the third one is Act Your Age Eve Brown, and they're all really good. I actually started with the second one, because it has a bisexual main character, so I was reading it to review on the Lesbury, and then I loved it so much that I went back, but the thing I really enjoy about it, and that I saw in Delilah Green as well, is just having a lot of different balls in the air and a lot of depth to all the side characters as well. And you've got this oh, that's family fun. element, which is really nice. So they kind of pop up in each other's books, which is always fun. Um, but I don't read a, a ton of romances, so I usually need some sort of hook to draw me in. Mm. And I I really enjoy when when it feels like the character's even the minor characters are real people whose lives continue even when you're not reading about them. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like both of them do that really well. And it also, I mean, it's just really well written. Um, and yeah, not not something I often seek out, but it was the Brown Sisters that really made me realize like, oh, Romance is something that can really be, like, an incredible five-star, like, blow-me-away read.
0: All right. Well, that is quite a pitch. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way that you phrased that about feeling like even the side characters are so real Mm -hmm. that you imagine their lives existing when they're off the page. Um, I think, yeah, I think... I'm actually having that reading experience right now with a book I'm reading that comes out this summer. That's also a romance called On Rotation by Charlene Obuwobi. Okay, and is about, uh, yeah, about a young woman who is in her first year of medical school in New York and dealing with all of like the stresses of that, but also dealing with pressure from her parents and a very rowdy group of friends uh, that. I think bring as much drama as they do bring support (laughs) to her but it feels it feels like a vibe that I can imagine those people really existing also that's a really nice way to put it yeah
1: like in in Delilah Green you know one of the main character's friends just is most of the time just like a support character and kind of giving like you know advice or commentary or whatever but then you s- realize that she's like having this ongoing argument with her boyfriend about one of them wants kids and one of them doesn't and it's like mm. very minor but it just makes you realize like oh this is a person who is the main character of her own life you know like she has her own stuff yeah. going on which I really appreciate
0: yeah that's a substantial conflict yeah to a side character. <laughs> yeah
1: I don't see that a lot <laughs>
0: All right, so we got Delilah Green. Mm -hmm. What else for this year? Yeah,
1: I thought uh, Tell Me an Ending by Joe Harkin was really interesting. Mm -hmm. It is basically um, a facility like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like You can have a memory erased, and it is a bunch of different characters who have all been affected by this in different ways. Essentially what happens is they get they have two different procedures. One is that you are informed. You know that you had a memory erased and you know kind of the general parameters of like, you know, something bad happened on vacation and I hmm. decided to forget it. And the other one is that you, you are not informed to yourself. Like you kind oh. of, you wake up in your bed, it's been done, you don't know it's been done, uh, and you decide that beforehand. And they get sued and they have to disclose to all these people that they have had a memory erased and then <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> and those people have to decide whether they want it back knowing nothing about it which is like oh my god yeah just a, a wild premise <laughs> like what do you do with that information
0: oh I'm gonna have to put that on my list it sounds like it's adjacent to um the premise of severance which I've been oh, watching yeah. on Apple TV yeah yeah where that's also in that sort of memory wiping vein of the question, the central question there is like, would you separate your consciousness in your home life from your consciousness? at work Mm. and it is like completely severed where like if you I don't know have an accident at work they write a note that's like dear outside Danica (laughs) inside like inside Danica tripped and fell today and that's why she has a black eye but it might not actually be that that's what happened something more sinister might have happened and like outside you will never be able to verify it because you can't talk to inside you
1: weird yeah it's a trip
0: Um, I love that That I think I'm really learning that I love that kind of speculative fiction. That kind of question of like, what do you want to know? What do you not want to know? And it sounds like the question of this book is like, you at some point you decided you didn't want to know this thing, so now do you want to know what you don't want to know? Yeah,
1: and it's all of these different perspectives, too. So, like, one of the main characters, it's his wife has been informed and she decides she doesn't want to know, and he is just consumed by like what is this that she erased did she like (sighs) cheat on him is there like some you know like he can't let Uh it go yeah (laughs) oh gosh
0: I'm gonna be thinking I think I'm gonna have to read that soon I'm gonna be thinking about that all day now yeah (laughs) it hadn't even occurred to me that it could really drive you nuts if someone close to you had erased a memory and you didn't know what it was Oh, man. There's a lot of interesting questions there. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to shout out for folks for the year so Yeah, far? my
1: last one would be Ready When You Are by Gary Lonesborough, which is a YA book. And it's a story about two Aboriginal boys in Australia who fall in love. And it's really beautiful. It reminds me a lot of Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe.
0: Oh, Yeah,
1: and it was originally published in Australia and just came out in the US um, I think last month, pretty recently. And... The whole time I was reading it, I was like, "This is exactly the kind of book that would get challenged or banned right now because mm. it, you know, it's, the main character is like considering dropping out of school, and you know, there's underage drinking and sexual content and all of these things, and it's also just you can tell would be so incredibly important to um, to Aboriginal teens reading it, especially queer Aboriginal teens, because it is really talking about feeling torn between his identity as being aboriginal and growing up in in the mish and all aboriginal community Mm -hmm. and then and realizing that he's gay and feeling like he can't reconcile those things and it's just really well done and something that doesn't there's not a lot of stories like that being published mm-hmm. right now and i can just imagine how how important it would be for certain readers and it it yeah. really frustrates me that a lot of those books are being kind of taken out of people's hands
0: yeah, you've been doing a lot of great work. I guess this is the part of the show where I just brag on you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that you have and uh, Kelly Jensen have been doing so much great work digging into the really hard and repetitive and frustrating stories mm-hmm. about attempts to take those kinds of books off shelves and ban them from schools and all that kind of thing. And it sounds like this one is a really like nuanced kind of intersectional approach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's I've been kind of playing backup for <laughs> Kelly, who does this every week and sorts through so many like dozens and dozens of these stories. And yeah, it we were kind of talking before about how to even discuss it because it's it's the same thing over and over. It's the same mm-hmm. story over and over, and it's very very frustrating because it's also the same story. That was true in the 90s. Like there's a you could. Yeah. I made this quiz uh, that went up. Oh, on no. The <laughs> that was <laughs> you had to match the quote, the book banning quote to the decade. And it's just incredible how much could be word for word from the 80s you know like talking about <laughs> dungeons and dragons and teen libraries and how it's corrupting oh, our youth no. and it's like <laughs> it was it was you know last year or whatever like, like it was not the 80s
0: oh no it's like is this the plot of footloose or is it <laughs> yeah, 2022 exactly. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I will find the link for that quiz and we'll put it in the show notes for anybody who wants to play along and, I don't know, be depressed know. along was, with us. This is a. It
1: was the weirdest. Misery loves company. Writing experience because I was like laughing out loud and feeling just utter despair at the same time.
0: <laughs> oh, I believe they call that the gallows. Humor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for your 2022 faves so far. I'm gonna read all of those. Before we get into the news of the week, we'll take another break for a sponsor. All right, well, top two stories of the week, actually, a lot of our content this week is as seems to be the case, because this is the thing that's happening right now, uh, is related to attempts to ban books or talk about censorship in some way. And the first one is, I think, an interesting story for for a couple of reasons. But the headline here is that uh, the Dr. Seuss company made more money last year than ever before after they pulled racist titles. Mm-hmm. Um folks probably remember when that was going on they pulled um and to think that i saw it on mulberry street and if i ran the zoo because of racist and offensive imagery and then they also pulled um, four other books from the seuss catalog uh, all lesser known titles michelle pool scrambled Eggs super on beyond zebra and the cat's quizzer which uh I don't think I had heard of any of those four prior to this happening. Uh, Less popular from from the Dr. Seuss moment. Um, But the CEO, uh, her name is Susan Brandt, uh, was interviewed for Time this week in a piece by Megan McCluskey that we'll have in the show notes. And this was an interesting confluence, I think, because... It had a simultaneous, like, cry of praise from people who were like, yes, good, we should be taking books with racist portrayals of people Mm -hmm. out of libraries, take them out of circulation, good job, Dr. Seuss, Uh, and perhaps throwing some of their money behind other Dr. Seuss titles as a show of support. At the same time, folks on the far right were, like, flooding to argue against Dr. Seuss, the Dr. Seuss company making this decision. And I think, honestly, that they I I, like this is the most generous reading that I can get to. And it's not very generous is that they weren't even paying attention to the details Mm -hmm. of this because they were talking about it as censorship, as if someone had made Dr. Seuss go do these things. Uh, When at the time, this was the company looking at its materials and saying, like, we don't want to be responsible for putting this material out in the world anymore. But the far right co-opted it and turned it into, like, defend the children, mm-hmm. defend Dr. Seuss. Uh, and I think that they had surges in sales from that side of the political spectrum as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which that's what's so interesting. In In the interview, she says, you know, we got a lot of support from our fans after we made that decision and that's why we made so much more money and I mm-hmm. think that the sales were much more driven by the right wing backlash that like weirdly just gave them <laughs> money like yes. and people bought like green eggs and ham it's like no one's no one's getting rid of green eggs and ham <laughs> like <laughs>
0: right Sam is safe he's fine <laughs> It was it's one of those like, I think that maybe we need like 20 more years of distance to truly parse what was <laughs> happening in that moment and what's continuing to happen. But the I, I guess failure to connect all the dots there of, like you are, even if you're buying green eggs and ham to defend Dr. Seuss, you're still putting money into the pocket of yeah. the company that made this decision. You're apparently very upset about um it's fascinating and it's really too bad that they couldn't that like Amazon couldn't pop up a like which side are you on why are you buying this book
1: it's also (laughs) like it would have been very easy for them to just change the illustrate like because most of them it was just one illustration the truth was that they just weren't selling very well and it wasn't worth the hassle like I used to work um, at a bookstore, and I ran the kids section, and we had a ton of remainders, so like new discounted copies mm. of Seuss books, and we had those ones. We had, uh, and and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street, and what was the other one?
0: If I ran, if the I zoo. ran the zoo,
1: we had both of those remainder, and we had them on big stacks at the front, and they they just didn't sell. Nobody was interested in them. You know, you sell like a hundred copies of and the places will go for everyone <laughs> you shall <laughs> buy those so you know I I do believe that they stopped publishing them partly because of the racial aspects the racism but I also think that they were just like Man, this isn't this isn't making as much money
0: yeah I think that's a great point because like if to take the other example oh, the places you'll go happened to have a racist image in it. They sell so many of those things Mm -hmm. so reliably, starting about this time every year as graduation gifts through the spring. It would probably be worth it to, you know, re-illustrate that page and do a reprint and go through all of the shenanigans because that would, it would pay off in the long Mm -hmm. run. But I think you're onto something that they were doing the calculus of like, should we just take these out of circulation? Is it worth replacing them? And I guess it Begs the question then of why not just remove them from the catalog, stop publishing them without saying something.
1: Well, I mean, saying something sure got them a lot of press. Like, <laughs> That's true. It works out Kick really well yeah. from both sides. Yeah. I'm trying. I've been trying to think about
0: like other examples where this could happen. Like, what else could you try to update that then you could like trick. The far right yeah. into throwing a lot of money. <laughs>
1: I bet you could do it for Roll Dahl. He's got some like real oh, questionable. Yeah. I mean, he was a real questionable person, but like True. his, you know, autobiography, boy, like obviously that doesn't sell very much. If you said, I'm going to pull it because of racism, then I bet Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> would do really well.
0: <laughs> oh, we could just, you know, create our own campaign for that and see how it goes. <laughs> That's a great example. <laughs> it's It was just wild to watch that unfold yeah. with Dr. Seuss in real time. So I'm just interested to see, glad to see that they're talking about this after the fact and um, I wonder how they really feel about it. Like, mm. do you feel like you won something if you had your biggest sales year ever, but you got it because Kevin McCarthy read Green Eggs and Ham on TV?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's funny. In the interview, they ask her about something about cancel culture, and I like that she just was like, "I'm not talking about."
2: That. <laughs> <laughs> and next, <please. laughs> no, I'm
1: not getting into that. It's a good strategy. <laughs>
0: I know I would love to you know, be a fly on the wall and and know if they anticipated what would happen because certainly now you would think like I don't know Scholastic has a ton of children's books that are classics mm-hmm. and there there might be something lingering in one of those and if you're a publishing executive now is it like well not only is it just ethically good to remove these images but like we could make some real money if we do it from both sides of mm-hmm. things I know it's fascinating yeah um to continue our role through I don't know, book banning corner, sadly mm-hmm. it's like we live on that block right now um Yahoo had a story this week. I think it was covered widely and I just came across it um, for on, like a Yahoo News feed by Asher Price about a former librarian from a rural Texas County. Her name is um, Suzette Baker. She served as the head librarian at the Kingsland branch library in Yano County. Um, and she was terminated this month. She claims that it was because she refused to take books off of shelves. She refused to follow through with censorship stuff that she was apparently ordered to do. Um, Axios news, Acquired her March 9th termination letter um, that accuses her of, quote, not following directives allowing personal opinions to interfere with job duties and procedures. The letter concludes with the quote, Your negative behavior was insubordinate and disruptive. Uh, Baker told Axios that she was fired because she refused to remove books from the shelves that dealt with gender and race, such as How to Be an Anti Racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, and she said that she was accused of insubordination because she appeared at public meetings involving library matters that she and other librarians had been ordered not to attend. Wow. Uh, so she, right. Which I have questions about the legality of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is preparing to sue the County over her firing. So I guess we will get to follow this story, but for, uh, not the first case, but one of the only cases that I remember seeing recently where somebody was fired mm-hmm. for either failing to follow through with this or or stepping up to defend these books in some way.
1: Yeah, and I looked into some of the other sources, and uh, at least one of them that I read said it specifically was books that had not gone through the challenge process. So they hadn't been challenged and mm. like ruled to go off the shelf it was just the officials preemptively saying take these off the shelf to to avoid conflict as far as i can I tell see.
0: Yeah, that connects to a piece that I have in our agenda that I was just going to um, drop in and direct listeners to um, by Hannah Natanson, that the headline here is schools nationwide are quietly removing books from their libraries. Um, She talks a little bit about that in the introduction, what you're talking about of teachers and librarians and school officials sort of just shadow banning books functionally by Mm -hmm. taking things that they think might be Problematic in their view, off of shelves, or that might raise issues with parents before they go through these challenges because they're just, they're just trying to avoid um, that situation. And there are, as you would imagine, a bunch of librarians who are unhappy about this yeah. and are taking action to fight back against it. And Hannah Eatonson had profiled a bunch of them in this piece.
1: I know I can't remember the details right now, but I know Kelly wrote a post about a I think either a high school or middle school librarian who had this happen where the principal just gave him a list of Mm. all the books to take off the shelf that were getting challenged in other places but not you know at that school and was emailing other principals to advise that they do the same thing and he went he like went to his union and then when it didn't you know when they still couldn't come to agreement went to the the news to fight back against it but I mean for Mm. every librarian who's willing to put their job on the line for that there's got to be a lot more who are are getting pressured
0: yeah and the um the librarian from Texas who was allegedly fired for this mentions in uh, her interview with Axios got Earbuds flying all over the place here. I'm excited, Danica. Um, she mentions that um she said she was being paid thirty-five thousand five hundred dollars per year for that work. And you know, very few people are in the position to give up their salary or put their job on the line for a principal, mm-hmm. but especially when we're talking about like that's just not a huge amount of money no matter where you live and being willing to risk that um, and now taking on the legal expenses these are people who are really really putting their money where their mouths are
1: yeah all right
0: well to bring us out of book banning corner (laughs) and into something a little bit more a little bit more fun actually let's take our final sponsor break and then we'll come back with something silly Okay, Danica, the trailer for the adaptation of Where the Crawdads Sing mm-hmm. was released this week. <laughs> and uh, Jeff and I read the book for the show a couple of years ago, I think back in 2019. And were at the time hoping that we would like it and understand why so many other people liked it. That is not how it went for us. Um, so we've, but we've continued to follow the continuing soaring sales for the out Singh and of course the news about the upcoming movie. I don't think that we will be watching the movie to do a full episode about, but I was really interested to see the trailer and try to get some hints of what direction they're going with the film. And then I was extra delighted when you said this week that you had not read the book. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start with before you watched this trailer, right. what did you think where the crawdads sing was about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I just was judging it based on the cover and kind of like I was just thought this is a book club book. I know it had some accusations of racism, and yeah, I think I kind of thought it was maybe like The Help or mm. maybe. To Kill a Mockingbird, or not even To Kill a Mockingbird, but there there is like a a very nebulous category of book club book, <laughs> and that <laughs> that's that true. is where I put it. That's you know pr- fairly character focused, often historical, uh, strong setting that tends to be picked up by a ton of book clubs so I really knew almost Mm -hmm. nothing about it um yeah other than that I'd heard negative things from a lot of people whose opinions I trust
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think when we talked about it offline you said it was like something something racism something something murder maybe romance (laughs) like
1: (laughs) yeah well even like the The murder part was like I had seen links to, but I hadn't clicked to stories about the author possibly having some like very questionable connections to a a historical murder in Africa or so. I just I don't know. That was that was the extent of things I knew Mm. about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird because the Frame device of the book is also a, a courtroom situation, a trial. Yeah, that's happening. I think
1: that To Kill a Mockingbird is actually what I thought of when I saw the trailer. I don't think I was thinking of it before mm-hmm. the trailer.
0: Yeah, I noticed that courtroom scene as well. It it also gave me the To Kill a Mockingbird courtroom vibes Mm -hmm. from the trailer so having watched this trailer and listeners will put it in the show notes so if you need to like pause and watch the trailer (laughs) and then come back and join us for this assessment um what do you think this movie is about
1: so it's obviously about a kid who's abandoned by her family she's surviving by herself in a marsh apparently for a while (laughs) and she's an, Mm -hmm. an outcast in the town. She's like maybe semi adopted by a black family. There's just one one like three second scene there that made me think that. um mm-hmm. she has a love triangle that ends up with one of the guys dead and is on trial for murder it It's what it looked like, yeah, that's basically it, and it's maybe <laughs> the fifties <50s. laughs> that's what I got, yeah. This- <laughs>
0: I think that's a pretty good, astute viewing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she's like my my take was, she's like surprisingly clean mm, in this trailer mm-hmm. for a child who lived in the marsh by herself for years. Yeah. Um, it's but yes, she
1: go ahead. It's funny because I got oh man, what's the the most famous Nicholas Sparks movie? Gosh, but. I don't
0: remember, but I got Nicholas Sparks vibes. Yeah, I was too. like, it's
1: it looks like To Kill a Mockingbird meets Nicholas Sparks. Like <laughs> that is the vibe I got <laughs> from the trailer.
0: That is a search engine optimization <laughs> play that will make you a trillion
2: dollars.
0: I was thinking that as well. Like going into before I watched the trailer, I was really curious about how they're going to position the movie because. When the book was first starting to take off, I heard it mostly about as emphasizing the r- romantic relationship mm. that um, Kaya has with one of the men. And then also that there was maybe some like murder revenge mystery stuff. And so you would get like both murder and romance, everybody's favorite combination. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the book does follow tropes of both of those Genres, and I was wondering if they were going to try to do both of those things in the film, or if it would emphasize the romantic elements more, or emphasize the sort of murder mystery pieces more and the the nicholas sparks like look of things which might just be that nicholas sparks also sets his books in that same part of the u.s Mm. in the like sort of in the outer banks or the north carolina south carolina coast um the worlds looked similar but i think i was surprised by i I was not expecting to have nicholas sparks feelings watching the trailer for this it's interesting it kind
1: of just jumps back and forth between like Is this kind of a a thriller murder mystery or is it like a very romantic movie? There's also one scene where she sees like a heron fly by that's really Mm -hmm. dramatic. And I was walking my dog yesterday and I saw a heron and I was like, this is not the same at all. (laughs) I don't feel like it's signaling anything in my life.
0: It wasn't an omen no. or something <laughs> you didn't co- maybe commit a murder afterwards.
1: I can't comment obviously but
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Just on the dog walk I know. The way home.
0: <laughs> I think that if I had not read the book i think i would probably see this trailer and be like i'm gonna end up watching that on some like lazy sunday afternoon Mm. when it's on cable or when i'm sick someday and i want to (laughs) watch something that's basically like a hallmark genre situation um i am fascinated to see how this does when it comes out in theaters like movies we're not getting a lot of movies like in this vein right now that we're we are out of the walk to remember era and I'm, I think it's going to be fascinating.
1: Yeah, I, I still am not clear even what it's, what kind of movie it's trying to be. Like, is it, are you going to walk away talking about the mystery or the romance? I don't know. Mm.
0: Yeah, the mystery gets solved by the end of the book. Mm. Um, hmm. That's a great question. Listeners, if you have read Crawdads and you're watching this trailer, send us your own search engine
2: optimized
0: (laughs) descriptions for it podcast at bookriot.com Jeff will come back from vacation and be like what are all these emails
1: I love that you just stick him with it like you have to check the emails so I can ask for anything well
0: (laughs) you know Jeff, like, very kindly took on the responsibility of checking the podcast email several years ago when a bunch of the women on staff were receiving a lot of harassment mm-hmm. for various things. And he has just also kindly continued to check the podcast email. So maybe I'm playing a little fast and loose with what's coming into the <laughs> inbox, but uh, <laughs> I think I think he'll enjoy it. Uh, thank you for going on that, that Crawdads journey.
1: Yeah, I'm interested me, to see how it turns out, how people receive it.
0: Um, Another story that I wanted to highlight this week that was from Publishers Lunch, so it's behind a paywall. Sorry, folks, we don't have a link to drop in. But maybe something will come out publicly. In the meantime, is that um, Hachette, Hachette Book Group and FSG have launched new diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives. And since we've talked so much on this show about the need for these kinds of initiatives to affect the pipeline in publishing and create a more diverse and inclusive Industry all the way around. I wanted to highlight um, some of the efforts that are going on. Uh, so, Hachette has announced four new partnerships. Uh, one of them is a partnership with the City College of New York that provides a salaried full time year long work experience at Hachette for a recent graduate of the City College of New York's publishing program. Uh, David Unger, who is the director of the publishing certificate program, says that uh, the kind of support that HBG is offering graduates feels transformative. It's a competitive starting salary, bonus for the purchase of incidentals, a rotational program, and dedicated mentoring. Uh, That's a great thing to see. We've talked a lot about how entry-level publishing gigs often pay so little that in order to take them and work your way up the ladder, folks need some other kind of structural support. And so historically, if you have not come from a family background that had extra money to toss your way, folks from... Other backgrounds have been locked out of being able to jump into publishing and and pursue careers or even to take the kinds of internships that get you in the door so you can have an underpaid entry level job. Um, So really nice to see that. Uh, They're also Hachette is also co-presenting the Hurston Wright Writers Week Retreat at Rutgers University, which is a seven day summer writing workshop that includes all kinds of things. Uh, two Hachette Fellows will be able to meet with Hachette publishing teams throughout for consultation and mentoring. Their third partnership is with um, Lambda Literary, and they're going to fund one fellowship and offer several scholarships to Lambda's annual retreat. If you're not familiar, Lambda Literary is an LGBTQIA organization in the world of books and reading. So, And they do the Lambda Literary Awards every year for best books by and about and featuring queer stories. Um, And then they've also announced the Rise Up program in collaboration with We Need Diverse Books, which focuses on staff retention, and so keeping people in the industry uh, once they've made it in. Uh, Then in the land of FSG, they have announced a foundation of the FSG Writers Fellowship, which is, quote, designed to give an emerging writer from an underrepresented com- underrepresented community additional resources to build a life around writing. The winner will receive a $15,000 award and be featured in the FSG newsletter. FSG will also host a public reading of their writing. Sheila Hetty, Katie Kitamura, and Rowan Ricardo Phillips are going to serve as judges uh, this inaugural year. Um, so another way to give like really meaningful structural support to writers from historically, marginalized communities. $15,000 in award will help you float some writing time and less, you know, whatever other work you have to do time uh, to make your way into the publishing landscape. So I'm excited to see these. It feels like an interesting variety and a bigger variety of approaches than we've been seeing from publishers in the past. So I guess I'm hopeful to to see more of this, more of this thing where publishers are looking at all kinds of ways inside their structures that they can provide opportunities for new folks yeah
1: it's really interesting that this is i think coincidentally because i'm sure this has been in the works for a long time coming at the same time as we're hearing about all of these people leaving uh (laughs) because (laughs) of lack of support so obviously change is needed and hopefully some of these address that
0: yeah. And please, folks, if you we know a lot of publishing folks listen to the show, if there are things going on in your publishing house or in organizations that you're a part of that are also aiming to open up opportunities for folks from marginalized communities to access careers in publishing or careers in writing, uh, being able to have support for that creative work, let us know about those so that we can shout those out and direct other listeners to those resources. So you can email us that also at podcast at book Riot.com. Jeff will be very happy to read those, I'm sure. <laughs> um <laughs> so just glad to see that. More like this, please. Um, and I, I think a good reminder, too, of how big this industry is and how long it can take. It's been many years since We Need Diverse Books was founded, and the conversation about diversity and publishing really kicked up to being what I would consider mainstream, a mainstream awareness issue for most folks in the industry and for a lot of casual readers as well. And to see that we've hit the place in that conversation where approaches to solving the problem are really being diversified, I think feels that feels meaningful.
1: Yeah. And looking not just at the authors getting published, but also at right. who is choosing Uh, those books that are getting published and and who's involved in the whole process of publishing, I think is a really important step.
0: Yeah, it'll be really great to see over the coming years, hopefully, continued changes in that annual um, salary survey that Publishers Weekly does that looks not just At salaries, but also overall representation of people from of different genders and racial and ethnic backgrounds, how much they're paid in publishing and just what percentage of the publishing industry is made up of those folks. Um, So hopefully we'll see those pie charts look a little bit less like they're just all one thing going forward. Um, Good job, Hachette and FSG. Let's let's see more of it. That wraps up our pretty light news week. Actually, um, I guess I'm glad we didn't have more book banning news this week, Danica. (laughs) Um, Anything else that you want to touch on before we call it a day?
1: I did. I don't know if you saw the little mini news post that I wrote today about... Uh, the anti-racist books that Ted Cruz accidentally made bestsellers. <laughs> Did you see this?
0: <laughs> no, please tell me. I love. Let's dunk on Ted Cruz for a minute.
1: <laughs> so it was, you know, during uh, the hearings for uh, the um, the judge. Um, oh yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. So Ted Cruz was holding up books as examples of CRT, critical race theory, and mm-hmm. um, kind of waving them around as props. So one of them was the end of policing and the other one was, I don't know if you saw this on I saw it on Twitter, <laughs> the anti-racist baby that he oh, yes, he asked Dr. her Kendi. if you believe babies are racist and she just kind of paused for like <laughs> <laughs> paused and sighed and then responded. Mm-hmm. Anyway, both of those apparently saw a big boost in sales after that, um, and got to be, you know, number one in their Amazon categories. So that's, that's nice to see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Streisand effect continues to work. (laughs) Gosh, I just, I mean, I guess it's great for these authors Mm -hmm. and for those books being more widely read that like the folks on the far right have not yet figured out that all they're doing is providing free advertising. (laughs) Ah, well, I will find the link to that piece to drop into our show notes as well. Listeners, as always, you can find those show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. Stay tuned over the next couple weeks for fun announcements for me and Jeff about uh, Patreon and some bonus content. We've got things cooking and he will be back next week. Maybe we'll make him watch the Crawdads trailer too. Uh, in the meantime, have a good week. Danica, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Everybody will talk to you soon.